1: Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 397 with John C. Maxwell. This is a really fun conversation because I've been reading John's books for literally decades uh, since I was in high school. So great stuff. And we chat about his latest book, Leadership and the Changes that Need to Get Made as You're Growing in Influence. You'll learn one, John's Approach to Mentorship, two, How Insecurity Kills Effective Leadership, and three, The ACT Method to Make the Most Out of Your Reflections. So if you want to take a look at the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, it's on over at com slash F397. Now here's John's story. John C. Maxwell is the number one New York Times bestselling author, coach, and speaker who has sold more than 30 million books in 50 languages. He's been identified as the number one leader in business by the American Management Association and the most influential leadership expert in the world by Business Insider and Inc. Magazines. He's the founder of the John Maxwell Company, the John Maxwell Team, Equip, and the John Maxwell Leadership Foundation organizations that have trained millions of leaders from almost every country in the world. He's the recipient of the Mother Teresa Prize for Global Peace and Leadership from the Luminary Leadership Network. And Dr. Maxwell speaks each year to Fortune 500 companies, presidents of nations, and many of the world's top business leaders. He can be followed at twitter.com slash maxwell, And for more information about him, you can check out johnmaxwell.com. So thanks to John for hanging out with us. And thanks to our sponsors. Check him out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free Here is John. John, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast.
2: Hey, it's great to be with you, Pete, and your listeners. We're going to have a wonderful time. I'm looking forward to it.
1: Oh, thank you. Well, well me too. You know, you've been a role model for me for for years and years, and uh, I'm excited to dig in. And first, I kind of want to get your take on, you know, you've really taught leadership to millions. Can you tell me who taught you the most about leadership and maybe could you share a story of a of a key lesson that has stuck with you
2: well my father who's 97 by the way and still alive awesome. and uh, he uh, i grew up in a leader's home so i just watched it i mean I, I saw it before i understood it and kind of probably as a kid thought everybody had that kind of a home as far as leadership and and just really you know great direction so i would say my father because i've been with him and watched him of course his whole life and then I I had John Wooden as a mentor, and uh, he was a phenomenal teacher. And probably as just a, quote, an official mentor, Pete, he probably taught me more than anyone else. I mean, you know, he taught me about, you know, when opportunity comes, it's too late to prepare, and and, uh, just how to always be ready for that moment, and you know, make every day your masterpiece, and just goes on and on. So he was a phenomenal mentor. But I've been very fortunate. I've just had people come into my life, from my early age, and uh, even today, just you know, people that speak into my life and and help me and add value to me, and uh, I don't have one mentor. I think one mentor is kind of a. I think it's kind of a maybe a little bit misguided. I I'm not sure one mentor is good enough to mentor you in every area. I, I pick my mentors based upon the areas that I need uh, assistance in. So I have a I have a, a couple mentors for. Leadership, a couple of mentors for team uh, development and work, a couple of mentors maybe for attitude development and tenacity and that kind of thing, and a couple of mentors in, in the area of communication or relationships. So, you know, it depends on what, where I am and, and kind of what I'm needing, and then I just kind of pick the mentor that uh, kind of that's where the strength is. So when people come to me and they, you know, say, "John, would you mentor me?" I smile <laughs> and I tell them, "Not that good, uh, <laughs> sir." yeah you know, the answer is no you know i am just good at a few things and i'll be glad to help you at a few things but most of the things in life i'm i'm still just uh, trying to grow and learn and not too hot myself in so uh, but i know this every day of my life i'm standing on the shoulders and i'm better because of people who have invested in me and and given me time and of course i just turn that around and try to mentor mentor others also and be a mentor to you know to other leaders so it's a it's a beautiful it's a beautiful journey once you understand that we're all to be a river, not a reservoir. And, uh, you know, just kind of let it flow through you and help other people add value to them. So that's kind of, it's kind of where I am in the area of my mentoring world right
1: now. Mm, gotcha. You know, when you talk about the journey, uh, I like that. And you have unpacked a, a few kind of key uh, moments or, or lessons in your journey in your latest book, Leadership. What would you say is the, the main message in this book?
2: Well, I think the main message is that uh, you can only strengthen and sustain your leadership if you continue to make changes or make shifts in your life, that there's no one way to lead and and there's no way to lead continually and that we uh, have to be agile and have to adjust and have to understand the times, you know, leaders, leaders really understand context. What all leaders have in common, Pete, is that they, they see more than others see. So they see a bigger picture and they see before others see. They not only see that picture larger than others, they see it quicker than others. And uh, that being the case, they're the first ones to know and uh, or to sense at least or to maybe begin to grasp. And so the more they can adjust and the, the the better they adjust, the quicker they adjust, the more effective they're going to be as a leader. And And the book really is all about adjustments that I've had to make leaderships that I've had to make in my life to continue to be effective as a leader today it's very easy to begin to kind of rest on your position or your title and expect it to do your work for you and 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 when that happens we we no longer are on the edge we no longer are seeing more before and so therefore we're no longer on cutting uh, and cutting edge as far as leading people so the book's really all about how do you stay on that cutting edge? I, I had a, uh, I had an interview recently, and, and the, the person commented about the fact that I've been doing leadership for 40-plus years, writing books, teaching, speaking on leadership, uh, learning, th- doing my best to be a better leader. And they asked me, they said, well, how have you for so long stayed in the game? And I said, well, I yeah, <laughs> I guess the main way I've done that is I realized it's not the same game. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's kind of like baseball, you know. I mean, to use analogy, you know, the game is baseball, and every day there is a baseball game, but that, no game is alike, and mm-hmm. so uh, you can't depend on what happened in yesterday's game to be what's going to happen today. Yes, the game is called baseball, but pretty much after you finish the the, the rules, that everything else is is going to be fluctuating. It, you know, Babe Ruth said yesterday's home run won't win today's game, and. Uh, I find that very true. And so whatever I was doing yesterday, I'm, I'm glad that I could do it. I hope I did it well, but that really uh, doesn't mean that I can do the same thing today. In fact, it, you know, the, I think the greatest detriment, Pete, to a person's success is, is, is or uh, about to, the greatest detriment to tomorrow's success is today's success. And, and the moment I kind of get settled in today and, and kind of say, I, I, oh, I've got this formula. I want to hold on to it. I want to keep it, you know, <laughs> It's just not going to happen, it it does, It just doesn't happen that way. And especially where in the times we live right now, with, with social media there's such a, an incredible awareness that's happening. And uh, I was getting ready to speak for a company and what I do when I go speak for companies, I have a pre-call to kind of find out where they are and how I can best serve them by finding out what you, you know, what's your theme, what's your objectives, et cetera. And so this company I was going to speak for, their, their theme was Fast Forward. So the person on the call said, John, what what does that thing mean to you? I said, Well, let me just tell you what each word means to me. When I think of fast, it, it means to me. When I think about today, I it's fast is faster. Uh fasters. It's fastest, faster than it's ever been before. And I love it. people say, wait, well, you know, I'm gonna I'm just gonna hold for a while and wait till things kinda slow down It <laughs> make sense. I said, I said, I'm sorry, I I you're going to have to die for that to happen. Uh, it just isn't going to be there. So fast is faster. And forward, Pete, is shorter. Yeah. And uh, what I mean by that is when, when I started leading, my gosh, when they talked about, when I was working on a business degree, when they talked about a long-range plan, they talked about 10 years. And a medium-range plan was five. And a, short-range, a short-range plan was two. Well, that's a ridiculously long-range plan today, two years. You can't say, boy, can you get it down to 12 to 18 months. And uh, so forward is shorter and fast is faster. Well, if that's the case, which it is, then uh, a book like Leadership is is, is essential. If, if, if we are not continually looking over the land and adjusting ourselves and, and being very agile, being very quick to go, We're not going to be very effective. And one of the things in the book, one more thing, Pete, and I'll shut up. But Mm -hmm. one of the things that in the book that I really am glad I addressed was this issue of uncertainty because there are a lot of people say, well, I I want to be certain before I, you know, make that move or make that decision. And, and I talk about the fact that it's not possible and that, that leaders, the the best leadership leaders, they're very uh, comfortable with uncertainty. They, they, they understand that they, are having to move before they have all the answers or before they have all of the uh, direction or all the steps. Down. And they realize that it's in the movement that they get clarity and they get more direction. In uh, and, and fact, what I tell people, if you really want to kind of know what's going to happen in, in, in three months, start moving now. And uh, it, it, the resources, the, the events, the experiences start flowing towards you in that process. So I think leaders need to be clear in their vision but I think as far as the journey is concerned, we just have to have a real sense of openness and, and uh, authenticity with people and say, I'm making all of my moves based upon what I think and, and, and what I believe, but, but I don't have total clarity on this at all. I just, I just, we're just going because, again, speed, the ability to move quick is so essential in leadership today.
1: Absolutely. And so, so with that said, in terms of the importance of being able to make those, those shifts, you lay out uh, 11 key shifts as examples, and we'll dig into a couple of those. But I'd like to first hear, across the board, what are some of the, the key perspectives or, or best practices when it comes to how we go about uh, making a shift?
2: Well, I think, first of all, security. I just feel that a leader that is insecure won't be agile enough, and so I think that's essential. And we
1: say insecure, I'm intrigued there. Could you can you give us some examples of what are the things that make leaders insecure, what are they worried about?
2: Well, I think I think an insecure person, first of all, most of the time is not comfortable in their own skin. Mm. Uh, they, they themselves haven't yet come to uh, a real sense of who they are, you know, and it's very difficult to help people become who they would like to become if you're not really sure. Who you are? I think that insecure people are are those who may mainly want to be liked mm. and like people to always applaud them and and you know leadership's tough and there's just you you know you're going to make decisions that um, are not going to be always popular. I think an insecure person that they most of them are controlling, and I think controlling is a very damaging. Thing in in the culture we live today, and again, it, it you know again, if you're if you're relying on agility and speed, uh, if you have to control every person and every decision and every uh, movement, uh, you're you're just in, in deep weeks. I think maybe maybe Pete, this will illustrate you as good as I can. I, uh, Gail Devers, that's probably a name many of your listeners can recognize. Uh, she was a tremendous Olympic athlete and track star for the United States, and I think I'm not sure, but I think as a female track star, I think she won more medals than any other uh, American Olympia. But anyway, terrific athlete and, and won medals in three different Olympics. So that, I mean, just think of that span mm-hmm. to be a, a world-class athlete. In fact, the night I was having dinner with her and her husband in Atlanta, she, she was really training for her fourth Olympics. If you could imagine, she was, she was running races against, uh, you know, young ladies that were young enough to be her daughter. And so, so we're having a great conversation, great meal. She, she had read a lot of my books and she wanted to ask some questions about leadership. So we were having a good discussion. And toward the end of the meal, I, I said to her, I said, Gail, I said, I've been thinking about this all, all dinner. I, th- I think if you and I ran a like a 100-yard race, I, I think I could win. <laughs> and I, I wish you could see her face. I mean, she looked at me in such disbelief. Of course, you know, an athlete that's good is highly competitive. She looked at me and then she looked at her husband. And she said, Did you hear what he said? <laughs> and you know, I, said, yeah, I you know, I heard that and then she looked back at me and kind of disgustingly. Like, I mean, I'm I'm not in that kind of shape. I kinda of look more like the Pillsbury girl voice, <laughs> I mean uh, so so, and so I mean I can see that I've got her almost to the place where she's ready to take off those heels and go out in front of the restaurant and say, We're gonna we're gonna run a block and I'm just gonna show you how dis- delusional you are but so I got it right to that point, which was a lot of fun. And, and then I said, "Now, now, okay, really, honestly, I, I do think I could I could win a hundred yard race with you if I had an eighty yard head start." Yeah. <laughs> and she's got. said, "Oh well, shoot, yeah, okay, yeah, hello." Now, to be honest with you, I I really wanted to say seventy yards, <laughs> but. <laughs> But I wasn't sure I could do it with seventy. I, I thought, no, nah, not. Nah. But but eighty, I, I could kind of roll across the line. I think I think I can do that. So, and of course, then we all had a good lap. But the point's very simple: it, it the fastest person doesn't win the race; it's the person who gets started first. Right. And uh, starting first is everything. And again, leadership is all about starting first. It's all about being again quick and and ready to move and and being flexible. And and while others are kind of considering it, you know, you're already there. And um, so when I when I think of the 11 leaderships in the book, there are, my gosh, there are probably 100 leaderships a person has to make. Yeah. And I've made more than the 11, but these are the 11 in the book that are like what I would call the, the Mount Everest type of stuff, the big stuff that, that not only I had to make, but probably every person that wants to lead is going to have to make in their lifetime, sometime in their lifetime. And I think that the greatest thing in life for me to do, and one of the reasons I write and speak all the time is to create awareness. You just can't fix what you don't know it needs to be fixed and the moment that a person is who is hungry to learn and grow and be, get better becomes aware, all of a sudden uh, everything begins to change, and you know once once you've had the light turned on for yourself, you know you want to you want to go into a room with people and turn the light on for everybody and this is kind of a turn the light on. Book. It's 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 just kind of a book that basically says, "Here, my name's John. I'm your friend. Let me turn the light on. Let's talk about a few of these shifts you need to make, and, and let me kind of tell you how I did it and cheer you on while you make them yourself."
1: Excellent. Well, let's talk about a, a few of them here. Well, or maybe just a couple. So, uh, choosing here. Well, what would you say if you had to pick which one do you think is is the most critical for leaders to make, or or perhaps the most overlooked? Like, oh. I, had to, I need to do that, and I was not yet aware. Thanks for turning the light on.
2: Well, one of the ones I, I find when I, you know, I, I've taught on this before I write on it. Oh, basically, the way I write books is I teach stuff, and when it sticks, I think, oh, gosh, if it, it's sticking with the audience, I probably need to I need to put it on paper. So I think one of them that has given me maybe my greatest reward that people don't think of very much is the shift from what I call ladder climbing to ladder building. And uh, in that chapter, I, I talked about the fact that we all start off as, as ladder climbers. I did. I mean, I got my, my first leadership responsibility. And the question was, how high can I climb on this ladder? And I, You know, I'm, I'm taking off. How high can I go? And I think for every person that uh, is going to be a successful leader, they have to, to be a, a good ladder climber. They, they need to get to the top. I mean, when you think about it, yeah, get the, the credibility I have, Pete, as a leader is that I'm successful. Mm-hmm. I mean do you think somebody wants to follow me if I'm not successful I mean I mean whoever gets up the you know and says wow you know gosh I'm not doing well financially I got to go find somebody that's gone bankrupt a couple times and get yeah. some ice from them and you know, no, I mean, the first thing we turn to is we turn to somebody that has done it well I mean you know we, we teach what we know but we reproduce what we are and so uh, we turn to that person so I started off ladder climbing and did pretty good I, I was a pretty good ladder climbing I got to I kind of got to the top quickly, but I understood then that that really had very little to do with leadership. It had a lot to do with some competence that I had and uh, some giftedness that I had. But but I, I decided that I needed to start thinking of others and, and, and what am I doing? So I went I went from ladder climbing to, to what I call ladder holding. Mm-hmm. And um, that's basically where I go over to you, Pete, and say, hey, could hold your ladder for you, and and what I know about somebody holds ladder for somebody is that they provide security for that person. They provide a solid foundation, and what I know is, Pete, if I hold your ladder, you're going to climb higher than if I don't hold your ladder. It's it's I'm going to, I'm going to allow you to, what I would call it, achieve a a couple of extra runs in your life, and and you're going to you're going to go a little bit higher than you would go if I wasn't there, and so, that's kind of a a shift that I made up from, you know, I'm just going to climb my own ladder and build my own thing and do my own thing to, well, shoot, why don't I go help some other people? So I made the shift to a ladder holder. And then what this is very, you know, again, it's a journey. So you don't know this stuff on the front. end, you always know it during the process, and on the back end. As I was holding people's ladders, what I discovered is two things. One is that they climbed higher because I helped them and served them. And number two is some of them really could climb high. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I realized, as a ladder holder, I was able to find out who the potential successful people and leaders would be. I mean, some just climbed higher than others with my help. Ladder holding became the qualifying exercise I did to go to the next shift, which which was ladder extending. You know, If I'm holding your ladder, you get completely as high as you can go. I, I'm saying, gosh, you know let's extend this thing. I you didn't go any higher is there wasn't any more ladder there. Let's, let's get you some more ladder feet and go for it. And, and so yeah, I ladder holding allowed me to qualify really who I mentor because that's what I would put in, in the ladder extending area. It's just, it's just, I, it's, it's, it's now all of a sudden you're, you're taking them to another level and you're, um, you're helping them just go to heights that they never would have gone. And then again, this, all this does is evolves into the next natural shift. And, as as I'm extending your ladder, we you know, we got that baby up pretty high at Peacher. <laughs> you take that extension, just keep on climbing. And all of a sudden I realize you could basically climb as high as we can extend. Yeah. And I mean there's really really no limits to you. And, and then so it's kinda like, wow, this is the ultimate. I'm extending people's ladders and they're going higher than they ever thought were possible and making a bigger difference than they ever would have dreamed. And I'm just getting all excited about it. Then I realized, no, there's another shift yet. And this is the one that's really going to make the big difference for people. And so I'm going. If you can see me from ladder climbing, to ladder holding, the ladder extending to to ladder building, and I just look at you and I say, Pete, you need to build your own ladder. You don't need to use my ladder. I, I need to empower you. I need to release you. I need to bless you. I need to I need to let you go, and, and let you uh, um, you know build your own kingdom. Build you know build build your own business. Build your own work. Uh, you know be your own entrepreneur. You, you you don't really need me. And what's incredible is that when i became a ladder builder that's when i developed all these incredible leaders that you know that i've had the privilege of uh, you know for so many years having uh, watched them many of them do better than what i could ever do that's for sure and 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 to me then i think the greatest fulfillment is not seeing how high i can go you know it when i when i was climbing my own ladder i figured out pretty quick i can go pretty high but but you know that's kind of an end in itself and, and i thought Okay, I know what I can do, but I wonder what I could do with people. I wonder if I could. I wonder if I could help them to go high. And so those shifts. I just I have a fondness for this, this whole ladder shifting because because I just that's kind of like the story of my life where I've been and what I've done and 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 kind of where I am and and uh, and really what I love to do. My greatest my greatest uh, joy today is just fathering uh, a lot of leaders and uh, and just blessing them and, and watching them again excel. Incredibly, it makes me very proud and and just and very humble to have maybe a little part
1: in it. That's for sure. Well, that's really cool. And so, when you're doing this this ladder holding and this ladder extending and ladder building, you know, what are some of the the particular practices or or key questions you're asking? What are you doing in practice when you're uh, providing this support on the ladder?
2: Well, I lead by questions. That's how I lead. Probably one of the big shifts I had in my life was that I. uh, in the beginning, I, I led by direction. I just kind of basically pointed and gave people direction on where to go and what to do. And, and I made the discovery really that that wasn't the highest or the best way to lead. And so over time, again, it's all maturing and learning and growing. I went from giving a lot of directions to asking more questions because the whole kind of the whole principle is based on the fact you gotta you gotta find your people before you can lead them. Mm-hmm. And uh, Pete, one of the one of the great disasters in leadership. Is leading by assumption. Hmm. And uh, wow, gosh, you see it all the time. I, I had a, a wonderful friend, uh, Pat Summit, who passed away a couple years ago, but she was the uh, University of Tennessee uh, lady volunteer basketball coach and, and I think the most successful woman's coach ever in basketball, in college basketball. I think she had over a thousand wins, but she was an amazing woman, an amazing leader, an amazing person. And 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 so she would feed her team my books and and uh, and and got to me and talked to me and asked me to come up sometime and talk to the team and go to the game and I said sure so I did. And it was an incredible experience because at halftime the, the lady volunteers went into the locker room and I kind of followed them and the coaches and Pat uh, just said well you know sit right here in the room with the with the with the basketball players for a moment and her and the coaches went off into another room hmm. and and one all you. and one of the. <laughs> No, it's just incredible. One of the, so one of the basketball players, uh, one of the lady volunteer gals, there was a marker board at the front of the room, and, and the marker board had two questions. Uh, what did we do right? What did we do wrong? And what do we need to change? And they went into this exercise where one player led the other players. Okay, in the first half, what do we do right? They wrote down three or four things they did right. Okay, what do we do wrong? Wrote a few things down they did wrong. What do we need to change in the second half to you know to improve to get better? So they wrote these things down. This exercise didn't take them long because they were used to doing it. Took them five minutes maybe. Here comes Pat into the locker, goes straight to the marker board, looks at what did we do we did right, what do we do wrong, what do we need to change. Made a couple comments, not very many, maybe a minute or two, just a couple comments. Affirmed what they were thinking, and you know, maybe tweaked them if they weren't, maybe or if they missed something. And out on the floor, they went, and played the second half. And after the press conference, Pat and I went out to dinner, and and I I said, Pat, I said that was an amazing exercise. I said, talk to me about it. And she's here's what she told me. She said, John, my first year and a half as a coach, I was I was not a, a good coach, and and my teams were not successful. And she said, I kept asking myself, okay, what what am I missing? There, she said, I, I just. I just knew that there was something that was obvious, but I was missing it as a coach to help me out. And she said, I came to the conclusion after about 18 months that I was assuming that these players knew what I knew. And I was assuming that they had basics under their belt. And I was assuming that when I talked to them, we were all on the same page. And she said, John, I wasn't on the same page with them at all. I wasn't even in the same book with some of them. And she said, I, all of a sudden I realized that I was trying to lead them and I hadn't found them yet. And so she said, I, I started asking questions, and so I went to this exercise. And she said, I can walk in now, and in while, I, while I'm walking to the marker board. By the time I get to the front, I already know if they're aware if they understand, and if they don't, she said, it's my job as a coach to get them on on the same page I'm on as far as awareness is concerned. But she said it just changed everything. It's, she said now I coach from where they are, not coach from where I think they are. And so when when you talk about shifting and and where I am in and, and, and this book and in fact I ha- I one, one of the leaderships that I talk about in the book is is going from directing to connecting and that directing to connecting is is you connect by asking questions, and so today, pretty much, I lead every everybody, everything I lead. I basically go in and ask questions and and find out where they are. And as soon as I find out where they are, then leadership pretty it's pretty simple. And I, I, so I put a whole chapter in the book on just that because I thought, my gosh, if if they just learn to find their people, and 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 it, it'll be life changing.
1: That's for sure. And those questions are so great with you talk about. The assumption is that you can very clearly see, oh, wow, you know, you have a completely different perspective on, on what you think you did right and wrong than than I do. So, OK, that, this is where we're going to start as opposed to, OK, perfect. And and to just sort of facilitate ownership along the way. That's huge.
2: Yeah, they say Vince Lombardi, of course, the great Super Bowl coach of the Packers, they, they say what he would bring all these pros together for their first practice at the beginning of the season. The first thing he did is hold up a football and he'd look at these pros. Now, they'll think about it. They played high school. They played college. They're a pro. They're the best in the profession. And he would start off every year with the same speech and he'd hold up a football and say, gentlemen, this is a football. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he, he wasn't about to assume anything. He, he's just, Let, let's just talk about it. Let's start from the basics and work our way up. Wow. I'm blessed. I have several companies and, and, uh, Got a lot of balls in the air, and I just, I just found and discovered that if I just go and um, ask questions, I very quickly, very quickly can kind of find out what they know, what they don't know, where they are. It just answers everything for me. So, I think learning to ask great questions it helps us to connect on common ground with, which becomes pretty amazing to be honest with you.
1: That's great. And if I may, I'd love to hear maybe just a couple bullets. Like what are some of your, your favorite powerful go-to questions that have served you well again and again?
2: Well, for example, if you and I were in uh, any kind of a, a meeting, let's say that we were in a a creative meeting, we're talking about, I don't know, the brand or whatever. But when I'm fit, when when we're all finished meeting, I'll, I'll just say, okay, let's just go around the room and, and, uh, give me what. Give me your what you think is the most important takeaway right now that that you just got out of this out of this time out of this session. And uh, it kind of helps me to know very quickly if they're assessing what I'm assessing in that meeting or or not. You know, with with my children, even with my grandchildren today, whenever we whenever we have an experience, I always ask them. As soon as the experience is over, they know they know. I'm going to ask them the two questions. My children, if I did this once, I did it ten thousand times. My grandchildren, probably about that many too, and and I just look at them when we're done with the experience. I'll say, okay, uh, and they know what they know. What's coming? What What did you love? What did you learn? Yeah. And I always start. I start with kids with what did you love because they 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 always know that they they feel that emotion. But, but what did you learn? And and it's just phenomenal because you see, experience is not the best teacher, Pete. We hear it all the time. People say, "Well, experience is the best teacher," but it's not. It really isn't. If experience were the best teacher, then as people get older, they'd all get better, right? Because they they have more experience. And yet, I know most people I know they're getting older. they're not getting better. They're getting worse. And experience is not the best teacher. Evaluated experience is the best teacher. Beautiful. But taking time to come out of an experience and then pull away and reflect. You know, reflection really takes experience and turns it into insight. And so what I what I do is I constantly ask myself. In fact, when I'm done with, when I'm done with our time together, I'll take three minutes because it's just a habit. It's one of my hopefully better habits, but but I'll, I, it's a practice that's for sure. I'll take three minutes and I'll go over what we just talked about, and we'll I'll, get I'll pull out <laughs> and, and, and I'll say, okay, when your time with Pete and the listeners today, what are you taking out of that? You know that forty five minute experience with. What do you glean out of it, Maxwell? So I, I, again, evaluating, reflection, asking questions. Boy, the moment that you begin to, when you begin to understand your people, I had a mentor named Charles Blair who said, John, always have an understanding so there's not a misunderstanding. And I, and I, so I just, I just live that kind of a leadership life and, and I'm very comfortable with asking questions. What's beautiful, it doesn't take a long time. In fact, yeah, and I run people all the time because I get some pushback on this from kind of choleric type, hmm. you know, top-down leaders, and they and say, "John, when you start asking questions, you give up control." I said, "No, no, you don't understand. When you start asking questions, you're in total control because you're in control of the questions you're asking." Yeah, and that's what get, formulate the discussion. So go back to the Pat Summit uh, University of Tennessee illustration. She was in total control when she walked in there because she was getting out of the girls exactly what she did, what we do right, what we do wrong, what we need to change. She was, in, she was in complete control. But she was, but while she was in control, she was also getting information that was very essential to her to lead them to the next step. Leadership is a very exciting um, venture of w- w- when you just understand how to answer the question. In fact, I wrote a book, I don't know, five or six, maybe seven years ago. Gosh, time goes so fast. But I wrote a book that, I just wanted to write it because I love to ask questions and, and I did, but it just went kind of crazy. It took off called Good Leaders Ask Great Questions. And uh, I have a chapter in there, Questions I Ask Myself, Questions I Ask My Team. And I, I just went through and helped people kind of understand, uh, you know, questions are, questions are kind of like keys. They unlock the, they unlock the lock. You know, you got this lock and you, you can't get in, but if you've got the key, you can. And, and questions just kind of, open up the doors for me and allow me to do that. So I love it. So that chapter on, on directing to connecting and, and the leadership book was, gosh, it was a lot of fun because I think it's just going to be very enlightening to a lot of people. I think they're going to have a lot of aha moments when they get there.
1: Oh, that's cool. Well, yeah, I want to talk about uh, sort of a, a big key and a big question. And, and that's particularly to shift into an explicitly Christian context for a moment for our, our listeners of faith. Uh, when I got John C. Maxwell, I can't not ask. Tell me, what's your take on how we can most effectively listen to God's voice and and take the appropriate steps and and make the shifts that that He wills for you?
2: Well, I I made that shift about four years ago. Only four? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I really did. I, you know, I I think I was typical. Most people in their prayer time, you know, I had a list, and you know, I and I took some time with, with God, and I would I would go down the list, typical choleric, and kind of talk to him about it, check it off. And about four years ago, you know, I, I was just thinking of, you know, basically the, the scripture principle that, you know, that God's ways are higher than ours, and that, you know, that God knows what we need more than we know what we need. And all of a sudden, it kind of, I started getting a little bit amused, and I felt how ironic that I'm spending all my time with, my agenda when I pray with God. I'm, I'm much more interested in my agenda than I am on his agenda. And it kind of came to a catalyst one time when I had a person uh, who was, I was in a conversation with him and they said, well, you know, they were talking to me and they they just said, well, she said, I, 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 would, I would just like to, directly hear from God. I started, smiling. I said, no, you don't, you don't, you don't really want to hear from directly hear from God. I said, if you did it, trust me, it's, it's not on your agenda. It's, it's, it's not what you think he's going to say or, or what he's going to hear. And, and I, I was kind of amused by it. And then I thought to myself, I wonder what would happen if, if I just took that approach to prayer. And so I switched about four years ago and uh, I have no agenda in prayer. Anymore. I, my, I have an agenda and that is to listen and to be still, and to hear his voice. And so I take a legal patent of my four-color pen, and I sit, and uh, I have the word with me, and I just uh, I just open my heart, and basically share with God that I want him to speak. And uh, and he may speak through an experience that I had recently, or he may speak through a passage of scripture, or he may speak through some music, but, but I'm, I'm just going to listen to you. And it's really changed my life. Uh, it's made me want to spend more time with him. Before it was kind of like I wanted to spend more time with him so I could get through my list. But now it's kind of like I wonder what surprise he has. I wonder what he's thinking today that you know it's going to really uh, add value to me or take me in a direction I wouldn't even imagine. And so anyway, I, so I, I kind of made a what I, I I guess you could call that a prayer shift in my life. But I found I found it to be. I really found it to be very effective. And, you know, I'm, 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 kind, of, I'm kind of grateful for it, to be honest with you.
1: Oh, that's really cool. And, and, and now I want to get your take on how do you differentiate in those moments, like something pops into your head between what you think is you and, and what you think is the Lord? Oh, well, I think it's,
2: I'm asked that question often, and I, I think I have a really good answer. And oh, the boy. Fact is, well, I really do, and, and, and I tell people all the time, well, a whole bunch of it's me, because I'm human. And and so, and so, even though I have a, a a great desire to hear from him, I don't say that I don't have a lot of John in that thought pattern. So, but but what what really helps me is is the fact that when it, it's him, it stays with me. I, and so, what I basically do is I you know I'll say okay, these are the five things I sense from you today, and I think I'll just I'll table them for twenty four hours, and we'll come back and 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 let me just see if any of them resonate. And I find that uh, tabling them for the right reason, not not a, not for a reason of disobedience, but more of a reason for discernment. I come back the next day and, and the, you know, the wood and the hay, the, you know, the stuff just kind of separates, the chaff separates from the real real thing. And and if, if I keep coming back to it three or four times over like a week, Pete, then I, I, after a while I say, okay, yeah, this is something I need to really... Uh, learn from and, and, and spend time listening to him. And, and one of the beautiful things that has come out of this, um, just really beautiful. I think the biggest lesson I've learned out of it, I don't know, but it seems to be the biggest one to me is, is obedience. Yeah, you know, Whatever he says to you, just do it. You know, that in, you know, John chapter two, Cain of Galilee and the wedding feast and the water turned to wine. If, if you can imagine those servants taking those, those jars and, Filling them up with water. I, they have got to think this is the stupidest thing. <laughs> you know, to, this, and, and, and then when they were asked to take the jars to the host, I, I think they said, and this is the day I get fired. <laughs> because, you know, this is the day I get fired because they're asking for wine. I'm, I'm bringing water. Of course, when, when it was poured out, it was wine. And and it said, you know, basically the passage says, you know, the people didn't understand what had happened. But it said the servants knew Mm-hmm. Well, the reason they knew is because they were in the act of obedience of putting the water in the buckets or in the jars. And the point being, Pete's very simple. Obedience is never understood on the front. It's always
1: understood on the back end. Oh, I really like that. And, and particularly that, that, uh, that Bible story. It, interesting fact, when I got married, my wedding gift to my groomsman was a little uh, corkscrew wine opener that had inscribed on it that, that verse, do whatever he tells you. Uh, it just seemed like I could. love that. <laughs> I love that. It's like, hey, it's wine, want- and it's good advice. Oh, <laughs> Your, ki- oh my gosh, I'm going to steal that. Steal it away, yeah. <laughs>
2: oh, I love that. Cool. <laughs> see now, see. Shoot, this is going to be such an easy evaluation. When I'm done with you, I'm, uh, it's, it's going to take me five seconds to figure out what my takeaway is today. Oh, that I'm is, honored. I, that is a beautiful, beautiful gift. Whatever he says to you, do
1: it. Cool. Gosh. Uh.
2: (laughs) So so you you, you had it inscribed on on the opener?
1: That's right. So the the corkscrew, you know, there's a metal part. And so I had an engraver, you know, put that in there. Okay. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. you.
2: I hope I have done for your listeners today what you've done for me. Or, of course, you're doing it for them, too, because they're hearing this. So they're all going out and getting their christmas idea i want yeah. to sit down and talk i want to talk to my wife about this i think that would be a fabulous
1: christmas gift cool well I, i'm so glad to be able to oh contribute that's cool i love that i love that thank you oh thank you well yeah in our, in our last couple of minutes you know we like to do what i call the fast waves. get a, a quick perspective from you and some of your favorite things so could you kick us off with a, a favorite quote something that inspires you
2: well yeah I, uh, I have so many of them but I, the one I, I'm talking about the most now is, everything worthwhile is uphill. Love that quote. In fact, I visually just raise my arm when I, when I teach it. But, but basically what I tell people is there's nothing you have in your life worthwhile that, that didn't take time, effort, energy. It's all uphill. In fact, if, if you're going downhill, I don't know what you're going to arrive at, but it's not worthwhile. And the only way that you can go uphill, if everything worthwhile is uphill, the only way you can go uphill is to be intentional. And so uh, that quote means a lot to me because no one ever climbed a mountain by accident. No one ever talked about accidental achievements in their life. You know, it's 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 intentional. In fact, I wrote a book, I don't know, three or four years ago called Intentional Living. And the whole book is all about the fact that most people accept their life instead of lead their life. And so if you accept your life, you just come up with much less than what you could have in your life if you were intentional. So everything worthwhile is uphill. I think that's probably mine. Mm,
1: excellent. Thank you. And how about a favorite book?
2: Well, <laughs> Of course, the, you know, the Bible is is my favorite book. And, and, and by the way, uh, when I do leadership, and of course, most of my world is secular, but people sometimes will say, where did you really get your leadership stuff? And I'll, I'll tell them everything I learned about leadership I learned from the Bible, everything. In fact, I've had some great uh, Q&A interaction times with secular community, basically saying, you give me your best leadership thought, and I'll give you a biblical foundation for it. And uh, it's startling. It's startling. It, it's the greatest leadership book ever written. In fact, the favorite thing I've ever done was not writing books as much as that. I had the privilege several years ago to do a, the Maxwell Leadership Bible and put my leadership lessons that I taught out of the Bible in the Bible. Oh, cool! And uh, that, that 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 leadership Bible is just well, you know, a million million Bibles later, it's just still going crazy. And uh, I've done. I just had to just finish my third edition, and uh, I have have repeat over 600 lessons on leadership in that. I mean, every page has another leadership lesson, but it's all out of the Word. I, I'm reading a book right now called "Leadership in Turbulent Times." Mm-hmm. Fabulous book, but I'm a fan of this author. Uh, her name is Doris Kearns Goodwin. All right, uh, she's she's a she's basically a, a presidential scholar, and she spent her whole life studying presidents of the United States. So she wrote, you know, uh, A Team of Rivals about Lincoln, and she's written one on Kennedy, one on FDR, one on LBJ, one on Teddy Roosevelt, and I, I consume all of them. But, but this one is, she took Teddy Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt, LBJ, and Lincoln, and basically wrote a book on how they led during turbulent times, and it's just, it's a fabulous
1: read. I'm loving it. Oh, cool. Thank you. Well, in our, our last moment here, could you share a final challenge or a call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs?
2: Yeah, well, I I would just say whenever I listen to something or or in an experience, I always do what I call ACT. Uh, what should I apply? What should I change? And, and what should I teach someone else? And it's just you know simple, act. I, I, you know if I if it's a, like a long. Uh, session. I may get three or four A's, you know, a couple of C's, maybe five or six T's, and I look at them and I categorize them, and I just put ACT in the margins of my notes so that I can find them. And what's one A? What's two? Or what's one A, one C, and one T? And and, and whatever those those are, those three ACT, I, I just take the next uh, thirty days, and and I do them every day. The one A, one C, and one T every day for thirty days until it kind of becomes a habit. And it's, I've done this for thirty five years, and it just works.
1: Beautiful. Well, John, this has been a real treat. Thanks so much for, for all you're doing in the world. It's uh, greatly appreciated. I hope that uh, Leadership is, is another hit and just keep on rocking.
2: Do my best, friend. Every day I have a great job. I just get up and add value to people. It's a pretty good gig, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Thank you, Pete.
1: I was really intrigued by John's take about how insecurity is really so destructive to leadership. Like folks, they're not really comfortable in their own skin. They don't really know who they are. And if that's you, that's okay. I think we've all maybe gone through phases of that at one time or another, some longer, some shorter, but it's really worthwhile to to dig into that a little bit. Like, what are you really all about? And if you're, you're about nothing in particular, then yeah, you can be swayed by wanting to look good, to get the approval and the applause of others, or suffer from the default decision making criterion, which we heard from Drew Dudley. There's a lot of D's in that sentence, which was that you just tend to do what Ever will avoid the most unpleasant consequences in the moment, which sure isn't inspirational. It doesn't inspire much. So I can see how that really kills the, the leadership mojo in terms of being influential with followers. So I think that's, that's well worth thinking in terms of are you, are you falling into that trap or do you have a really clear picture on who you are, what you're about, where you're going, that you can uh, rally other folks behind as opposed to just kind of trying to get by and not ruffle too many feathers or upset too many people or bring about too many negative consequences because that's not really good for anybody. So again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to be we've referenced, it's at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F397. If you haven't already, I hope to push subscribe. we will hear from our next guest. It is Donna Hicks. She is from Harvard, did a bunch of great research there and applied into spooky high-conflict war dangerous zones about dignity and what does it really mean to treat people well and how she has really unpacked that into some particular categories of ways you might not even realize that you are disrespecting some people's dignity and the impact that makes and how to fix it. So a lot of good stuff from Donna. I hope to catch you there. Peace.
0: Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com